0: Today we're going to be in 1st John chapter 2. The last time we basically started 1st uh, John, the first chapter, which was really foundational to understanding the rest of this letter or this book. And today we're going to move from the fellowship that he speaks about with other believers that are walking with the Lord and with God himself, which is an awesome thing, uh, to really an evidence of that salvation. Uh, Truly a walk, a walking in the light, a walking in God's love. So starting with verse 1, the Apostle John says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the whole world he says my little children obviously he's speaking to believers uh we're going to see him speak in terms of endearment later on in the book too Uh, he's not taking great theological treatise and dumping it on the the heads of little four-year-olds he's speaking to other believers that he has a, a, a fondness and a love towards but this disciple john big difference from when he walked with jesus if you remember jesus nicknamed james and john the brothers sons of thunder right Uh, they said in Luke chapter nine, when they brought their message to the Samaritans and the Samaritans didn't receive it, they came back to Jesus and said, shall we call fire down from heaven on this village like Elijah did? And Jesus is like, whoa, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. So he calls them sons of thunder. I mean, it's possible that at some point in their flesh, they were hotheads, right? But you see a change here. You see a man who everyone knows is, oh, you know, I, I, I read the book of John and it ministers to my heart. This is the disciple of love. A different person here, right? And one of the evidences of walking with God and walking in the light is a, is a change, a changed life and a change of heart. But in chapter 1, he said, last Sunday, I write to you that your joy may be full. Now, he was speaking about the relationship that believers can have with the Father, And have with each other. And it's just a blessing. And we see that as we partake of communion, this kind of uh, vertical and horizontal relationships happening at the same time. But here he says, the reason I write to you, the second reason is that you may not sin. And I'll just cover just a brief overview from chapter 1. We know that sin really is inevitable, but it's not necessary. right? We spoke about 1 Corinthians 10. You're tempted to sin. And the Bible says that God will always provide a way out, so you don't have to take that sin. It's not going to, anything that's come upon you is not anything that's uncommon to what other men and women have gone through. So Paul tells us to walk in the Spirit, and we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh, right? And, you know, I, there are some teachings out there that basically say that God holds you in this condition, and you have no choice but to do evil. I don't believe that, because then there's a tendency to put the blame on God. When we sin, the blame should go squarely where it deserves to. When we have fallen, we need to take the blame for that sin. But the good news about this is that he says, if anyone sins, so John goes on, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if you're familiar with that word advocate, in the Greek it's parakletos, which was the same word that Jesus used for the Holy Spirit. So he is also an advocate and I look at this, if, if you look at the definition of advocate, advocate is like a defense attorney. It's somebody who sticks up for you, right? A counselor. And uh, what happens is, in essence, if it was a courtroom-style setting, God the Father is the judge. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans tells us. And, and Satan is the one who accuses us. And we're there, sitting there, and, and you know the, the deck is stacked against us because we have sinned, and they've got it all on tape, Right? And Jesus Christ is our advocate. He's like the defense attorney. But what's unusual about what he does versus what defense attorneys do today, he will stand up and say, Your Honor, Father, Joe DiProsimo, he is guilty. He deserves the punishment. What what are you doing here? But he also says, but I've taken that penalty of his sins upon me on the cross. I've already paid his punishment. So therefore, we need to pardon him. And the Father is satisfied because sin must be dealt with, okay? But also, we get to go free because Jesus Christ took that punishment from us. Now, in 1 John chapter 1, we covered three Greek tenses. And it is only so I could bring out the meaning, you know, the flavor and the richness of the word a, a little bit more. Uh, we've covered the perfect tense, the imperfect tense, the present Greek tense. Today, we see this word, if anyone sins, it's the aorist tense. So it's the fourth greek tense that we're going to study in that uh, grammatical structure and what he's saying is if anyone commits these specific acts of sin there is a remedy for us or for it christ died for those sins they can be confessed and they can be forgiven and verse two it says that jesus is the propitiation and we've covered this too the atoning sacrifice he appeases the, the wrath of an offended party. Okay? You, you take these words, you break them down into layman's terms, and they make a whole lot of sense. He's appeased that wrath that is deserved because of sin. Okay? So he is our propitiation for our sins. The Apostle John, remember, is speaking to other believers. But not only that, he says, but for the whole world. And that's important. That word whole in the Greek is halos, halos where we get the word in English, holistic. Not little pieces, but aggregately, the sum total. So these sins, there there is a limitless atonement here. The only thing limited about atonement is its application, not its efficaciousness. The the only thing limited is who's going to receive it versus who's going to reject it. But the Bible tells us that when sin abounds, grace abounds much more, much more to, to cover those sins. And we know the context of what Paul was saying, but God's, God knew the sin that was going to come forth of, of this, this rebellion against him. So his grace not only covered it, but superseded it, exceeded that. And I'm here to tell you today that you cannot, you have not outsinned God's grace. If you're coming here today and this is the first time uh, you're being exposed to God's word, it is powerful. You may have walked in off the street and said, wow, the word. You may have looked at our stage and said, boy, that's ugly, but that's going to change. <laughs> but next week, we're still going to be in the Word, and we're going to have a prettier stage, okay? But the point I'm trying to make here is that it doesn't matter what you did, right? It doesn't matter what you did. And, and that sounds so trite and cliche, but there are some who are wrestling with things that they've done, wrestling with, with um, you know, maybe... Making a, making a profession and then falling into a grievous sin. It, it, wherever you are at this point, it's, it's over with. Jesus paid for those sins. Nothing escaped his notice. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That grace is available you, to you today, okay, for the taking. Verse uh, 3, he goes on. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, I know God and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly the love of God is perfected, or has been completed in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. Many claim Christianity, right? We, we're in a society and an age of, you know, new age of tolerance and freedom and all that other kind of stuff. But God's laws don't change and bend to human wills. It doesn't matter how enlightened we become. It doesn't matter how advanced we become as a people. God's laws are timeless and they don't change. You can't claim to be a Christian and claim to love God if we're not doing what he calls us to do. What did Jesus say himself about Those who love him. He puts everyone in this room, in the world, into two categories. Those that love Jesus and those that don't love Jesus. Let me read John 14 to you. John 14, starting with verse 23. Jesus said and answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So to God, love is obedience. We even see in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 15, he says, I desire obedience over sacrifice. In those days, you would bring a sacrifice if you sinned, and uh, depending on how much sin you were involved in, it would depend on the sacrifice that you brought. Okay. So what would happen was, God is saying, listen, I would prefer that you just be obedient so we don't have to get to the point where we have to sacrifice, all right? And in verse 4, again, if a person claims to be a Christian and doesn't live by God's word, John is saying he's a liar. Now, we thought the apostle Paul was tough. John's no lightweight either, we see here. I just want to, just to go back for a moment. Again, we, we are obedient to God because we love God. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 in the Old Testament, several centuries before Jesus came to the earth, right? God says to the prophet, I will make a new covenant. I will write the law in their, the law will be in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. There will be no more one saying to another, know the Lord, for they will know me from the least to the greatest. I will be their God. They will be my people. And again, our desire is to please God. Now, when I grew up in a religion, I thought that God was an angry God and it didn't matter what I did because he was just waiting to swat me with a huge fly swatter. But when I became born again, my understanding or my desire was to, uh, was to please him. You see, there's a the difference. Once we're born again, when we have that relationship with him, we want to please him. We know that we still sin, but our desire, according to Romans 7, and we see this in the Apostle Paul's Confession, is that we want to do what he wants us to do, but sometimes we fail and we fall short. And we keep coming back to that evidence of a changed life. Walking in love, walking in the light, is walking with God. They all go together. In verse 5, he says, The love of God is perfected or matured in us when we keep his word. A changed life produces fruit. And what we do is we start to emulate more clearly what God's love is supposed to look like. You see, the word love is thrown around a lot in our society. Thrown, a lot, thrown around a lot, and uh, it doesn't mean much in our society. It's become watered down. It's become trite. It's become common. And the, the power in the word love has really been taken out. Okay? So when we become born again, we understand now what love is. We read it in God's word. We see what he says about it. And as we grow in Christ and his word is perfected or matured in us, we actually start to reflect his love, true love, not just the, the, the wordy stuff. Again, I've used the expression of the, uh, the sun and the moon. If you look at the moon with a, with a telescope on a, uh, you know, not a very uh, bright night and it's not really reflecting the sun, it's ugly. It's grayish and there's craters in it and it's just dingy. It's a big, ugly rock floating around and, and spinning around our, our planet. But on a beautiful day, when there's a a night when there's a full moon, you can see the light uh, of the sun reflected off the moon. And the moon uh, moon is beautiful. But not of itself, it's because it's reflecting the sun. Having a problem with this uh, microphone, right? Yeah. Okay, let's move on. There are many theologians and Christian figures throughout history that may have come up with some great doctrines and, and great ideas of. Of What the uh, threads are written through the scripture, but if they have not loved the Bible's clear They're no better than a clanging symbol. And my question is what would history say about us? If someone was to write about us, let's say we passed today. What would history say about us? Would it say that person really knew how to love people? Or would it say that we were just so interested in our own pursuits? It's an important question to ask Verse six, it says, he who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. Now, that almost seems impossible. How could we walk the way Jesus walked? Well, the answer is not on our own, but God. Only by abiding in Christ can we walk the way he walked. I want to read to you um, John 15, verses one through 11. And this talks about that abiding relationship now when we take the word abide okay the Greek word is other synonyms to it it means really to remain or to stay It's really a command to choose right here so with that in mind let me read this to you John 15 Jesus says I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Jesus has done his share in the relationship. When we become believers, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always there to counsel us, to comfort us, to convict us if necessary, to guide us. But we also need to do our part. Any relationship is like that. If one party in a a relationship of two people starts to falter, you have problems in the relationship. So what does Jesus say here? I am the vine, you are the branches, verse 5. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned if you abide in me and my words abide in you you will ask what you desire and that shall be done for you by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples as the father loved me i also loved you abide in my love if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love and verse 11 you this will be familiar to you because he has a similar pattern of writing Uh, the disciple John speaking about Jesus here. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So John got that from Jesus. And John became the disciple of love because he walked with Jesus and he had a lot of rough edges. And over those three plus years, the Lord helped to wear away those rough edges and he became just a wonderful, um, you know, not only writer, but uh, a wonderful example of love in his life. Now, this relationship, okay, um, the truth is not in the person who says they love God and they know God and they don't abide in them and they don't follow their word. And that doesn't just stop at the average person. I remember uh, something that, you know, there are some things that you remember. Maybe you see it on TV or uh, an incident in your life and it has such an impression on you that it doesn't leave you. I remember, and I couldn't tell you the guy's name or what church he was from, but a pastor who uh would you know do the church thing during the day would preach all that stuff and i guess somebody got suspicious of him and started following him at night and what they found was they took video of him and of course it was on television that uh by day he was a pastor and by night he would frequent the strip clubs with the girls you know taking their clothes off and this went on and on until he was exposed We see this with, um, even in in the priesthood, right? There was another scandal, another bishop has stepped down because of the pedophilia scandal, right? Uh, They're just all cover-ups. So listen, I don't care what the guy wears. I don't care if the guy comes up there with a robe or a collar or a big pointy hat and, and a big staff that has a cross on it. It doesn't matter. The Bible says this, that their relationship with God is a lie and not the truth if they don't abide. We like to throw titles around to each other, pastor, reverend, uh, doctor, and all those kind of things. It doesn't make us better people. Right? What's, what's really important is what's inside and what we're doing with our lives, especially in the world of, of Christianity. Abraham Lincoln said, if a man is going to be a liar, he better have a good memory. You figure that one out. Keeping Jesus' commandments to do certain things and keeping his word. Living by the entirety of scripture. This book is the direction manual for our lives. And that's it, right? Abiding is the only way. It isn't the uh, Christian culture. It isn't the Christian upbringing. We can't hang around with our Christian parents or our Christian friends or pastors and think that if we kind of rub ourselves on them enough, it's going to wear off you know that magic is going to start wearing off we need to have our own relationship with the Lord it isn't about what you do it isn't about the outward appearances it's about what's inside it's about that relationship with God verse 7 John says brethren I write no new commandment to you but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning the old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning again A new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes i write no new command it's always been right what is the command what is it well god's word from genesis all the way to revelation is really a love story right it's a a beautiful love story about god and his creatures god and his children and throughout that whole book he's been trying to get his uh, rebellious children to come back to him right that's what you'll see in totality of the Scripture. You will see love. Now, this is interesting because there's two words in the Greek. There's neos and kainos. He's saying, I write no new commandment to you. That word is neos. And that word means new in respect to time. I just bought that car outside. It's neos. It's brand new. Now, kainos is new, but it's a freshness. Understand? Now, watch how this goes down. In 1 John he's saying, I write no new commandment. It's, it's, it's been there for a while. It's not brand spanking new. But in John uh, 13, 34, he says, I give you a new commandment, but this is a fresh commandment, right? It's, it's always been around, but as human beings, sometimes we have to be reminded because we take things for granted. And love is one of those things that we can take things for granted. So John 13, uh, 34 through 35, Two scriptures. Two verses. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. God is love. And true love is really hard to emulate unless we're walking in the Spirit. Just want to digress to another scripture in Luke 10. Uh, there was a lawyer who came to Jesus. I'm going to read that, actually. Let, let me start in Matthew 22. Matthew 22:35. 35. The um, aristocrats, the religious leaders, they were always trying to trip Jesus up because it kind of was offensive to them that he didn't go to their schools and their seminaries, and he was out preaching, and he was much more successful than they were. So they would try to get these really difficult questions, legalities of the law... And try to trip him up so Matthew 22 34 but when the Pharisees heard that he Jesus had silenced the Sadducees they gathered together then one of them a lawyer asked him a question testing him and saying teacher what is the great commandment in the law Jesus said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, in Luke 10, the lawyer continues, and he says, Well, who is my neighbor? Now, this was a, this was a just like any other question that they asked Jesus, Jesus, it was charged, because if you understood what was going on at the time, you had the Samaritans, which were the Jews in the northern kingdom, and the Judeans, which were in the southern kingdom, And in 722 BC, the Assyrians came and they uh, conquered the northern kingdom and mixed their race with the Jewish people and really diluted the faith. So the the Jews in the southern kingdom would look at Samaritans like half-breeds. There was a, a racial hatred for them. And, you know, if Jesus was to say that, he could really get himself in hot water. So this is how they were charging Jesus with this situation. So what happens is Jesus goes into the parable of the good Samaritan. And what he does is he speaks about a man who got beat up by robbers and left half dead. And he's he's out in the wilderness and a priest and a Levite, the holy religious men from the southern kingdom. They see the guy. They they just they don't want to get involved and they keep going. Right. However, there was a Samaritan who was a hated person in, in that culture. He came. He bandaged his wounds. He put him on the horse. He brought him back to or the donkey. He brought him back to the inn. Uh, paid the innkeeper for his time and the man was repaired and jesus said well who is the neighbor to that man so he kind of he kind of put it right back at them but this is what i find interesting and where i'm going through all that is that in verse 9 he says he who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now so fast forward two thousand years from when jesus told that parable there are christians today right have the bible the new testament revelation's been revealed and they asked this question whether to a pastor or or somebody who knows the Bible they would say same question who's my brother you see we end up doing the same thing two thousand years later you see because if you tell me that let's say I have to love a good Christian brother who's walking with the Lord and they're really nice I can do that right so what I want to make the pool of those that I'm allowed to hate kinda greater right so that I can only love the good people so we do the same question well, who's my brother? Well, what's John talking about? So, you know, my annoying in-law who's not saved and gets on my nerves. That's okay. That's fair game. But my wonderful brother, John, who's sitting in the front here, who's just a wonderful Christian, you know, I can love him. We ask the same question. Human nature hasn't changed, right? So, John, or Jesus is saying, and John is saying, it's new, but it's not new. There's nothing new under the sun here. God has always felt this way. Let me just give you a little taste of what real love is about. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, only four verses. 1 Corinthians 13. The Apostle Paul speaks about love. He says, love love suffers long in verse 4, and it is kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself. It is not puffed up or arrogant. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It doesn't rejoice in sin and iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Again, that's a high bar to reach. And if we're just doing the outward appearance, we're not going to reach it, or we're going to maybe fool a few people, but we're not going to be able to maintain that. We're going to crash. The only way to do that is to abide in him. That's the only way to fulfill that. And verse 8, he says the darkness is passing away and the true light is shining. Jesus is the light of the world and he pierced the darkness of evil and hate at that time. Matthew 4, referring back to Isaiah 9, when speaking about Jesus coming into the world, it says the people who sat in darkness, obviously we're speaking about spiritual darkness here, saw a great light. And upon those who sit in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. So this was an expression, a spiritual expression, of what happened when Jesus came on the scene. You saw the climate, the political climate, the economic climate, the uh, social climate, and Jesus came with the light of God's love and exposed the darkness. Jesus showed us how to apply God's law and showed us how to love. And the way he says that the darkness is shining, and it's going to continue to shine. Why? Because as the light of the world, Jesus came. His presence, his teachings are still affecting the world for good. And again, when I was praying this morning, I spoke about uh, our missionaries in Afghanistan. So how was the light piercing the darkness of this world? I can't imagine, if I was to go back in time, if I was, God gave me that uh, ability, uh, to just see what the world was like right it wasn't a good place to be in Jesus probably came at the worst time of human history racial hatred was acceptable you know hatred of someone who didn't speak your language was acceptable all these things were acceptable. The nations were were constantly fighting and feuding and turning on each other, and you know, Egyptians were on the side of this person one day and then that on the other day, and and the you know, uh, different uh, mercenary groups would come from countries just to fight battles. And this is what was going on when Jesus came into the world. And I think about missionaries today. If you've ever read Voice of the Martyrs, it's a great periodical for missions and it just shows these families these people who go out into countries and learn the language and learn the culture and give up everything maybe they've accumulated as far as wealth in the united states and they their whole purpose is to just give the gospel just tell people what it means to be saved and they're they're being persecuted they're being uh murdered they're having their churches blown up all kinds of stuff is happening why just because they want to give the light of god's love that light piercing the darkness and this is interesting about light, how God has set it up. If it's dark out, right, and there's no moonlight or no street lights, and it, it's really go to, you know, when I used to live in Pennsylvania in, in the mountainous areas and there was just nothing. I mean, if, if it was just pitch black, you take a flashlight or a powerful light, it could have, you know, a, a portable light, and you press the button, and all of a sudden there's light. The light pierces the darkness. But you know what hasn't happened yet? No one's come up with a device that if you're out there on a beautiful sunny day that you have a little device and you press the button and it sucks all the light in and all of a sudden it gets dark doesn't happen right so light pierces darkness but it only works one way darkness doesn't pierce light verse 10 if God is love and God is light then walking in the light means to walk in God's love and how fitting today to be what we would celebrate as Mother's Day because mothers have a sacrificial love right? any of you who know who have newborns or young children and toddlers your life is not the same anymore you know you can't just go get up and hang out with the girls or go somewhere because you have another life to take care of when that little child is in their crib and they scream they think the whole world revolves around that crib right (laughs) and then two and three and before you know it and you know what moms you're not always appreciated are you right i got to say, looking back when I was a kid, I didn't always appreciate my mom. But one day she's going to be gone. And she sacrificed her life. You know, my mom uh, waited till my sister and I were really to the point we were graduating high school and becoming adults before she went back to school for nursing, which was always her dream as a young, as a, a young girl. But she chose to raise her family and put us first until she went back and, and, and fulfill something for herself. So that mother's, is, it's a sacrificial love. Now, unfortunately, we live in a world and we see it on TV where uh, there are some moms, very few, who are giving up their children for drugs or for boyfriends or uh, putting their kids in really dangerous situations. And that's disgraceful. That goes beyond what God has implanted in a mother to love her children. So a mother's love, all else being equal, is a sacrificial love. To walk in the light means to walk in love. And we need to understand... God's love, not what our society says about love, because that bar is way down here, right? There's been songs made of, of adultery and, and love, I love, and it's, the whole song is about adultery. There's no love there. That's lust. And we need to know the difference. Verse 11, he who hates his brother walks in darkness and stumbles because the darkness blinds him. Not ocular blindness, but spiritual blindness. We need to understand that. Hatred is corrosive and makes a person irrational. Um, I I thought I knew almost everything there was to know about World War II. I find it very interesting. But I recently watched a, and I found it that I don't, I recently watched the documentary where there were these historians, and they interviewed them, and they talked about some of the real close battles between the Allies and the Axis powers, that if they would have gone in the other direction, the whole uh, uh, fate of the war could have changed or gone in another direction. But what they said was, Hitler was so maddened by his hatred for Jews, right? And, and for those who, who he disagreed with, that he spent all these resources and all these men and all these man hours making these camps and all raw materials that he needed for the war effort. And so many Jewish brilliant scientists, chemists, physicists, biologists uh, in medicine, and he had them put to death because of his hatred for them. And what they surmised and speculated was that if he was to try to take over the world without that element and, and bring those people in to help him, that Germany might have won the war. So not only was Hitler an evil man, but he was a stupid man. He was. His hatred completely blinded him, and, and he was really willing to throw it all away and lose because of his hatred for the Jews. Right. So think about that. Hate, hate blinds us. It causes us to stumble in the darkness. It makes us foolish. And now we have jihadists. Now we have those who believe that uh, if they go into a a shopping mall or a bus and and blow themselves up and pack themselves with explosives, that when the moment they wake up, God's going to reward them with all these rewards. They're all so stupid. Because every time they do that, they wake up in Hades. And it's hot. And they probably are saying, no, maybe a little bit cooler than this. Hey, get used to it because that's where you're going to spend all eternity to think that a God would want you to blow up innocent people doesn't make any sense, we we scratch our heads, especially those who are believers how could they, they're completely blinded the world needs to see that there is a Satan in this world and there are those who are willing to follow him, darkness and blindness Jesus said to the religious leaders, you're spiritually blind but you say, being spiritual leaders, that you see because you say that you see, your guilt remains Your guilt remains. Yes, but the Christian is held to a higher standard, right? Of course, we can look at the worst people in history and say, gee, I'm pretty good, aren't I? But that's not the standard. God's word is the standard. Nice try, but it doesn't work. Christians cannot walk in the light with hatred brewing below the surface. Sometimes we need to stop for a moment and think of a person that maybe we're getting close to having those feelings for someone who's wronged us in the past, hasn't paid a bill, has done something that completely turned on us, knifed us in the back, and to stop for a moment and think of that person. Hatred, bitterness, it's best to just let it go and give it to the Lord. And sometimes it's a process. Hatred and bitterness will hurt you more than anyone else. Understand that. You could sit there and I could look daggers at Russ and get all tightened. It's not affecting him. He's going to look at me and think I'm just weird, right? <laughs> but inside, it's disastrous. Number one, the Bible tells us that it's disastrous to our spiritual walk. We know that. But there are also, we're body, mind, and spirit. It's not good for our psyche either, right? That, that, those angry feelings all the time, it locks us into a position where we can't enjoy anything because we're just always, that's always an overriding theme in our lives, that person who wronged us. And check it out. Physically, you know, I love to study the human body. Physiologically, when we're in that mode of hatred and bitterness, and we're locked into that day after day after day, you know that the body releases catabolic hormones as opposed to anabolic hormones that build. Catabolic hormones break tissue down. So if we stay in that state for long enough time, if, if they were op- to open us up, you can see the person is aged 10, 15, or 20 years past their years because that constant state of resentment and bitterness and anger it just those hormones just keep washing through our system and it starts to wear out our tissues so it's not good for us physically mentally or spiritually now do people get on your nerves? nobody gets on your nerves just you know you don't think people get on my nerves? not anybody here of course (laughs) But it is a huge, chasmic step between someone getting on our nerves and hatred. It's a huge step, right? Don't make that, that step. You know, and also, when we talk about love, I don't want to just um, gloss over this, but even as believers, you know, we could get so used to our friends and our cliques and our, our, our you know, things that we enjoy in, in life. And there are Christians who've been Christians for a long time and, you know, it almost looks like they sucked on a lemon. They just had that, that puss. It's like, smile, man. You might like it. That's a peeve of mine. If they see a friend, oh, hi, how you doing? And then, like, I'm not talking to anyone but my friends. You know? Walking in the light means walking in love. Verse 12. I'm going to actually uh, turn this because it's a long chapter. I'm going to go through 12 through 14, and then we're going to uh, finish 15 to the end on next Sunday. But verse 12, John says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children. Again, the second time he says, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. It appears the Apostle John takes a break to, you know, it's in the same theme, to encourage believers, right? Again, little children understand the language. Uh, there's some heavy the, uh, doctrinal theology, theology in here that he's not, you know, sticking it to four-year-olds to understand it. Little children. Most likely this refers to those in different stages of their spiritual walk. So little children, maybe you've been saved a few months or you're new and you're, you're slowly sitting at the Lord's feet and understanding the Lord. Very simple things, not to confuse them, but just so they can meditate on that and take encouragement from. Little children, your sins are forgiven you. Why? Because of Jesus' sacrifice. Right? Comforting and easy to understand. And that you have known the Father. You have known the Father because you know the Son. Right? Comfort. He says, I write to you fathers, maybe more mature, maybe older believers, maybe for decades, maybe uh, mentors in some sense, right? And you have known the one from the beginning. You have known, you known the timeless one. And he says it twice to reinforce them. Because that has to be in their foundation. False doctrine is coming. Persecution is coming. When we read history, history we understand that. So he's encouraging them with that, reinforcing that. And three young men. Most likely this refers to those who are actively uh, engaged in the spiritual battle, right? Uh, Actively being used by the Lord and being tested at the same time. And he says, you are strong. You have overcome the wicked one. Yeah. Okay, but why? Don't forget it's because God's word abides in you. Maybe by virtue of your position in ministry, maybe by virtue of your position as a missionary or uh, you know, actively engaged, engaged in evangelism, doing the work of the Lord, uh, completely forsaking your life to, to work with Him. He's saying, you are strong, you have overcome the wicked one, but make sure you understand why and how. Because if we start doing it, again, leave the Lord behind and do it in our own strength, we're going to fall, we're going to falter. It's going to hurt the work of the Lord. Those of you fighting the good fight, not our fight, but the good fight, right? Remember how we win. And this is a simple epistle with lasting ramifications. Today we have, um, you know, technology is good, I believe. You know, a lot of good Christian authors out there, a lot of uh, really great visual and audio aids in um, growing in Christianity and, and just really being ministered to. But we should never lose sight of the simplicity of the Word, right? The message is a simple message. His Word, His commandments abiding in Him. And some are looking, you know, they're looking. Well, you know, Chuck Smith had this revolutionary idea uh, in the 60s to, uh, to just focus back on the Word. You know, just, and you would think that that's so simple, there's got to be something better than that. But that's what, that's what you see here, right? The simplicity in the Word coming back to the word our foundation on the word it sounds simple but it's great and it is revolutionary it's not new right but it's new in freshness and and that's why i really enjoy doing that god created us for relationships with him and with others we see that in chapter one and in chapter two we see that it's good to walk with him and walk in the light don't be quick to say i love god and know god unless we're doing what he's asked us to do right Walk in Love for Others, Chapter 2. And I'll just leave you with a a brief story. Um, So, obviously, (laughs) there's just a lot that we're doing here, right? A lot of renovations. We're maybe a little bit past the nesting stage and kind of getting ready for the summer and reaching out to the community and things of that nature. Uh, And maybe I've kind of taken on a little bit... I mean, of course, I'm still in the Word and prayer. But maybe I've now kind of gone into the role a little bit of doing more administration and uh, like overseeing projects and things like that. There was an opportunity for me uh, last week and this week to meet with someone who was in the hospital, a man who was in very bad shape and wanted to know about salvation. Now, maybe my, one of my first thoughts was, man, I'm really busy. I'm going to delegate it. And Pastor Anthony was way willing to do it. And there's many qualified people here who could have done it. And I said to myself, you know what? I need to stop what I'm doing and get back to real ministry. Ministry with people. And Dave and I went to the hospital, and man, what a blessing it was. Just sharing with the man and and trying to answer his concerns and uh, helping him to understand what it meant. And I think just by reading, you couldn't speak that well, but reading his expressions, I believe that spiritually, I think he's in in a right place with the Lord at this time. And you know what? I just left that hospital, Dave and I, just rejoicing and excited that God gave us that opportunity. So the bottom line is, listen, even... So you say, well, you're the pastor and there's people in ministry here. But we can still get away from what God has called us to do. It's about people. Everything we do as believers, everything we do as a church, really should be for two things. To build up the body that's already here and to bring people from the community who maybe don't know the Lord and help them to understand who the Lord is and bring them into salvation and disciple Him. It's about people. People are eternal. So, let's walk in the light. Let's walk in love. Happy Mother's Day, and let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you again for your word.